So we've been going through this series, looking at the life, 12 events in the life of two kings, King Saul and King David. Looking at choices and character and how all of our choices, even on a daily basis, shape the type of men and women we become, and even the type of church that we become. And today, we've come to the topic of friendship. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel chapter 20. In this series, Walking with Kings, we're focusing on looking at how people change, and we come to this topic that I think is so important, and the title of the sermon for today is Spiritual Friendship. For when we come to the story of David and Jonathan, I think what it portrays for us is spiritual friendship. I'm going to read 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 1 through 23. And then I'm going to skip down to verses 41 and 42. Let's read together and let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to be our teacher. Then David fled from Naoth and Ramah and came and said to Jonathan, What have I done? What is my iniquity and what is my sin before your father that he is seeking my life? But he said to him, Far from it, you shall not die. Behold, my father does nothing, either great or small, without disclosing it to me. So why should my father hide this thing from me? It is not so. Yet David vowed again, saying, Your father knows well that I have found favor in your sight. And as he has said, Do not let Jonathan know this, or he will be grieved. But truly, as the Lord lives, and as your soul lives, there is hardly a step between me and death. Then Jonathan said to David, Whatever you say, I will do for you. So David said to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow is the new moon, and I ought to sit down to eat with the king. But let me go, that I may hide myself in the field until the third evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked leave of me to run to Bethlehem, his city, because it is the yearly sacrifice there for his whole family. If he says, it is good, your servant will be safe. But if he's very angry, then know that he has decided on evil. Therefore, deal kindly with your servant. For you have brought your servant into a covenant of the Lord with you. But if there is iniquity in me, put me to death yourself. For why then should you bring me to your father? Jonathan said, far be it from you. For if I should indeed learn that evil has been decided by my father to come upon you, then would I not tell you about it? Then David said to Jonathan, who will tell me if your father answers you harshly? And Jonathan said to David, come, let us go out into the field. So both of them went out to the field. And then Jonathan said to David, The Lord, the God of Israel, be witness. When I have sounded out my father about this time tomorrow or the third day, behold, if there is good feeling toward David, then shall I not send to you and make it known to you? If it please my father to do you harm, may the Lord do so to Jonathan and more so also, if I do not make it known to you and send you away that you may go in safety. And may the Lord be with you as he has been with my father. If I am still alive, will you not show me the loving kindness of the Lord that I may not die? You shall not cut off your loving kindness from my house forever, not even when the Lord cuts off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. So Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord require it at the hands of David's enemies. Jonathan made David vow again because of his love for him, because he loved him as he loved his own life. Then Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon. And you will be missed because your seat will be empty. When you have stayed for three days, you shall go down quickly and come to the place where you hid yourself on that eventful day. And you shall remain by the stone of Azel. 
I will shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a target. And behold, I will send a lad saying, go, find the arrows. If I specifically say to the lad, behold, the arrows are on this side of you, get them, then come, for there is safety for you and no harm as the Lord lives. But if I say to the youth, behold, the arrows are beyond you, go, for the Lord has sent you away. As for the agreement of which you and I have spoken, behold, the Lord is between you and me forever. And skip down to verse 41 and 42. And when the lad was gone, David rose from the south side and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed each other and wept together. But David wept the more. Jonathan said to David, go in safety. Inasmuch as we have sworn to each other in the name of the Lord, saying, the Lord will be between me and you, between my descendants and your descendants forever. And then he rose and departed while Jonathan went into the city. Church, this is God's word. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful that you have created us for relationships. And most importantly, a relationship with yourself. And yet we confess this morning that it is because of our sin and our brokenness that we often don't function in those relationships rightly. We often have not had the friends nor have been the friends that we ought to be or the church members that we ought to be or the husbands or wives or mothers or fathers that we ought to have been to those that you have put into our lives. We confess that, God. And we ask that by the power of your spirit that even today, we would experience healing in the area of relationships, that we would also experience strength in the relationships that we do have, and that you would guide us to discover even more about them. And in the midst of it all, God, would we learn of you and our relationship that we have with you. So speak to us, God. Show us your greatness. Show us your glory. Show us what it is that you want for us and what you have done for us to accomplish it through your son, Jesus. And it's in his name that we all pray. And everybody said, amen. Well, Mother Teresa, who spent a lifetime working in Calcutta, India, among the poor and destitute, said that the worst disease was not AIDS or leprosy. It was loneliness. We are made for deep meaningful relationships. In fact, we suffer without them. And yet very few of us actually experience them, especially in our age in which so many technological advancements have been made. And it gives us this perception that, oh, because I can email and I can text and I have a cell phone that we're going to be more connected than ever. And yet we find ourselves often at times more disconnected and distracted than we've ever been. And as a result, many of us, we don't really experience very deep friendship. And even as we talk about this topic of friendship, we're not just talking about your own personal life. We're talking about the way in which the church should be. Because life is a long journey, full of joys, but also full of suffering and difficulty. And those burdens were not to be meant to be born alone but with friends, with other people by your side. They're meant to be shared. And that's why I believe that for me, and I believe that for, for you, for us, not just to survive in our lives, but to actually thrive, you and I, we need friends. 
We need friends. We need community. We need one another in this church. Not just associates, not just networks, not just neighbors, not just fans. Some of you have those. (laughs) And, and, And not just, you know, these acquaintances. We need friends. I could say this morning that some of the greatest transformation that has happened in my life has happened oftentimes in the context of friendship. I think of my wife who's my dearest friend on planet Earth, just the way in which God has used her in my life as a tool in God's hand to to shape the type of man that I am today through the thick and thin. I think of your own pastor here in Carpinteria, Pastor Britt Merrick. He's been one of my dearest friends on the face of planet Earth over the last 15 years. And the way in which God has used that man in my life as a friend in good times and in bad times, has been so transformative in my life. I am not the same person today that I was 15 years ago because of these people, because of how God has used them in my life. I remember going through a season um, years ago, my father up in the San Francisco Bay Area, he, he had been sick most of his life and it got really bad. And about 12, 13 years ago, um, it was coming to the end. My father was dying and it was amazing to see the way in which my, my wife was just there. We were newly married. And it was like, okay, our first year of marriage, and now we're facing this. And yet to see the way in which my wife came alongside and just loved me and cared for me. And I remember Pastor Britt, he called me on a cell phone. Those were like new at the time. Remember that? When they were, it was like a new thing. Not everybody had one. I remember he called me, and I just would like cry. I'm in the middle of the hospital. And what did he do? He just, just listened. Just listened. And yet we'll never forget that. We've all been through so many ups and downs together. And even as I'm sharing some of those stories from my own heart, I'm sure that some of you can reflect and think upon, you know, the the people that have been there for you in your own lives. And yet as we do that, if we're honest, we can also think of the times in which you and I haven't been there. I'm sure I haven't been there for my wife or for Pastor Britt or for many others in the way that I should have been. But I know this, that God has designed us for community. He's designed us for friendship. Though we're going to have all kinds of different experiences throughout the years inside the church and in our own neighborhoods, we were designed for this. J.R.R. Tolkien and C.S. Lewis and others belong to a now legendary group of writers called the Inklings. I'm going to talk about this because I'm a total nerd. Anybody else, Tolkien? Lewis? Okay, just want to surface all the Tolkien nerds in there. You probably got Elvish written on your Bible and all that. You know that Tolkien and Lewis, you know, many of you, if you've read their stories, they were in this group of of writers, and they met frequently in an Oxford pub for pints, pipes, and prose. (laughs) And it was there that, you know, they they weren't only teachers, and they weren't only authors, they were friends. In fact, they became known as apologists for friendship, because they argued that friendship had been devalued and underappreciated in modern times. Listen to what Lewis writes about this. He said, To the ancients, friendship seemed the happiest and most fully human of all the loves, the crown of life and the school of virtue. Interesting phrase. The modern world, in comparison, ignores it. It is something quite marginal, not a main course in life's banquet, a diversion, something that fills up the chinks of one's time. So how have we come to this place? Why has deep friendship been undervalued or or underappreciated? Two reasons come to mind as I think about this. One reason 
is that we as a culture have come to think that deep and meaningful relationships can only be found in romance. Our culture practically worships romantic relationships, so much so that it's usually like the plot of every film that you go see. It doesn't matter what story you're seeing in a film. It could be a zombie apocalypse and nobody cares as long as the guy gets the girl. We're like, yay! It's, we, we practically idolized it in our culture, so much so that if, if one is single, if you're single, then the way that culture puts it, you have to settle for half-meaningful relationships. Oh, I'm only a half a person because I haven't found my other half yet. My, my dear friends, the Bible tells us otherwise. The Bible tells us otherwise. Which leads to the second reason I think friendship has been underappreciated is that it has rarely been experienced. Many of us have rarely experienced this. Our relationships may have been spread out so far that they tend to be very thin. Very little intimacy, little trust, little commitment. So this morning as we begin to look at the friendship of David and Jonathan, how are we to think about friendship? Well, here's three typical views that people take of friendship. One is friendship built on usefulness. Where you look at other people in your life, the people in the church, your, your small group or in your community, some of them, in an honest moment for you, might be built on usefulness. Like, oh, they're only around when I need them. Or some of our friendships could be built strictly on amusement. We just want to have a good time. Never really go deep on anything. Just like, what's up? How was the surf in Rincon? Or whatever. Is that where the surf is good? <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Some of us just have a friendship built on usefulness or it's just amusement. But what has been pointed out time and time again is that the greatest quality of friendship and our greatest need is friendships built on virtue. They have a shared vision. Vir friendships built on virtue have a shared vision. You're going in a certain direction. You're not just enjoying the moment. You're actually moving forward. You have a vision for life. You're helping one another pursue that together. And the greater the vision, the stronger your friendship will be. And the Bible tells us that there is no greater pursuit in life than God himself. Now, degrees of friendship will vary throughout our lives, but the deepest will be found and centered on God because friendship finds its very origin in the character of God. God himself is community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and he's made us for relationship, made us for community. That's why it's such a big deal that within the church, you're actually connected to other men and women in the church. When it's announced that there's small groups or Bible studies or prayer groups or community groups or whatever it is, this, just is, this isn't just an afterthought like, hey, if you're a heavy user of Christianity, then you'll like community groups, you know, and someone's like, well, I'm not in that deep. No, friends, this is for everyone. This is for all of us. We were made for this. No wonder the Bible has so many friendship stories. One of my favorites is the story of Ruth and Naomi. I love that book. It's a picture of these two women in this profound friendship in the midst of suffering. And yet here today, we come to another great friendship between David and Jonathan. And what I want to say up front is this. We cannot understand them Unless you and I realize that they are not casual, they are built on a covenant. They're built on a covenant, a commitment, a binding commitment that serves as the foundation for our relationships, a commitment centered on God. For through him, we have the deepest friendship of all, spiritual friendship. And that is what's pictured for us in the life of David and Jonathan. And as we go through this, I want you to think about whether or not you have this with others, 
And I also want you to know how you can actually build this with others. Because listen, this kind of friendship can't be manufactured. The answer today during a meet and greet time is not to stand up and say, hey, what's your name? Will you be my best friend? That's just weird. And maybe a little creepy. Like, hi, what's your name? Can I have your phone number? Where do you live? You're like, oh, um, maybe we could like meet up a few more times before I give you that information. Listen, let's not be creepy, okay? Can we commit to that? Can we commit to non-creepiness? Okay, you're with me. They can't be manufactured. Rather, spiritual friendships are discovered. They are discovered, even in the most unlikely ways. See, the thing about the friendship between David and Jonathan is that it never should have happened. It never should have happened. They should have been adversaries seeking each other's downfall. Because we've learned so far in the story that David was the anointed one as king. But in the meantime, King Saul, a king that had turned away from God, he was still reigning. He was still ruling. But God had rejected him as king because Saul had rejected God as his own king. And God had chosen another king, David. And yet in the midst of this scene, Jonathan was Saul's son, and yet he became David's friend. From a strictly human perspective, Jonathan was the next in line. He was the one that would be, humanly speaking, the heir to the throne. He should have felt threatened by David, but he didn't. God knit their hearts together. And I want to point out four characteristics about their friendship for us. It serves as a model, if you will, of what spiritual friendship should look like and what community should look like in our church. And the first is this. Spiritual friendship is marked by vulnerability. That is, friends are willing to bear their souls. Notice in verses 1 through 3, David is brutally honest about what's going on in his life. He says, Jonathan, I'm a step away from death. You got to love David's, like just how dramatic David is. I love it. I read the Psalms and he's using all these colorful phrases. I'm like, oh, that's my boy. Like he gets me, he understands me. David's like, I'm a step away from death. And yet Jonathan, his friend, wasn't convinced of the problem as of yet. But notice what Jonathan does. He acknowledges David's feelings were authentic. He acknowledges that David's feelings were authentic. See, this is a safe place. They're both being vulnerable with each other. And yet David has to come back to Jonathan and say, no, Jonathan, this isn't just me freaking out. I've literally literally been threatened by your father several times in a row. Because we've learned the other week that the envious and paranoid King Saul threatens David time and time again. And now up to this point in the story, it is time for David to flee. He's got to escape. He's got to find refuge and safety. And so in this friendship, he shares about it freely. And that's what should mark our community as a church. We should be able to share freely a willingness to open ourselves up. Because in friendship, you move from the surface to the depths. That means even as simply as this. You know, a a lot of us, when we see one another on a daily basis, we usually ask the question, how was your day? Right? It's a good question. The problem is we usually answer that with like one word. It's good. How's your day? Bad. Okay. (laughs) Oh, well. (laughs) See, another way to ask that question is, how did you experience your day? What was it like to have your bad day? What was it like to have your good day? And we can begin to open up a little bit more and say, well, it was bad because I was feeling really threatened at work. I'm having this hard time with this, 
you know, employee or I have this other friend and we're experiencing difficulty right now and I'm just having anxiety about it. Or maybe things are going really good. Well, tell us about the experience of that. Well, we were praying for something specifically and God answered the prayer and so there's so much joy. See, in our community and in our friendships, we want to go a little bit deeper. And we want to just ask those questions like, how are we, how are we experiencing things in our lives? See, one of the most common complaints in community is that people wear masks, right? We put on this facade. We pretend that everything's okay. And like, How's it going? Oh, it's good. Are kids good? Yeah, kids are good. Job's good. Great. When really inside, your soul is like deteriorating and you just don't want to talk about it. We've all been there. We've experienced it and we've done it so easily. Even in the church, it's easy to wear the mask. And yet we, in a community of Christ and as spiritual friends, we go beyond the mask. We're not going to spend our time maintaining appearances. But the Christian community should be like a refuge where you bear your soul without fear. Some of you have this. You've experienced it. You are experiencing. And I would say that is incredible news. Continue in it. But some of you might say, well, I haven't experienced this yet. Well, if not, take steps toward it. Like start moving in that direction because sometimes the reason that you haven't yet experienced this is because you haven't taken steps in the direction of actually building community or building friendships or opening yourself up. Oftentimes, over the years, I hear so many people say, well, I, you know, this church, like, I just can't connect with anyone here, and, you know, just nobody's, like, I just don't really jive with it. Like, okay, have you ever gone to a community group? No. Oh. Have you ever, like, you know, tried to go to a Bible study or anything like that? No. Oh. Do you, do you go to church? No, I haven't been in a year. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, let's get to the bottom of this. <laughs> See, that happens so often, but we need to begin to take steps, and that can happen by asking really good questions to one another, like, what are you finding encouraging in your life right now? That's a good question. When you meet up for coffee tomorrow, what are you finding encouraging in your life right now? What's God doing in your life that's encouraging? And on the flip side, what are you finding difficult in your life right now? See, even those two simple questions will take us deeper in our friendships. We need to be vulnerable. And this vulnerability will require two things. We see it modeled in David and Jonathan. Listening graciously and speaking truthfully. That's what real friendship is all about. Listening graciously and speaking truthfully. But first of all, we need to listen. This is a particular discipline that's hard for me because I like to talk. I like to talk. And I find that at times it's really hard for me to listen. I get so easily distracted. And yet this is something I need to work on time and time again. And I'm sure for many of you, you need to work on it. The church should be a place where we learn to be really good listeners. Isn't it the New Testament book of James that says what? Be quick to what? Listen and slow to speak. Usually we have it the other way around. We're very quick to speak and slow to listen. Like, has somebody ever come to you with a problem and you just start talking? You don't even know what you're talking about? Someone's like, yeah, having a hard time in my marriage. Well, there's this book I read 10 years ago. It's a really great book. And then I went to this conference and said, yeah, pray for you. See you later. God bless. <laughs> oh, is that a conversation or a monologue? Like, I, I don't know what that was. See, some of us were too quick to speak. But if you listen well, you'll learn to speak well. If you really take the time to listen to one another, listen what they're going through. Jonathan, is, he doesn't quite yet believe what David's going through yet, but he's listening to him. He's listening to him. 
A willingness to listen is not a sign of weakness. It is a sign of strength. We desperately need good listeners. I mean, how many of you have gone through a time of suffering? Maybe you've lost someone in your family or got bad news from the doctor or whatever it might be. And one of the greatest things you can experience in that moment is just another brother or sister coming over and listening. And just listening. I remember that in my own life in different seasons where my family had gone through suffering and people like my dear friends would come in and they would just be there and they would listen and I would say to them, oh, you were, you were just there for me. And they'd say, oh, really? How was I there for you? You listened. You listened. And I think we as a church, I think we, just, we need to grow in that. We need to be good listeners. But then there does come a time to speak. And when we speak, we need to speak honestly even if it means correcting our friends. Even if it means, because there will be times where you have to lovingly challenge their illusions. Because it's very easy for us to to sin or we go down the wrong path. And so living in Christian community, having spiritual friends, means that we will be willing and we will dare to discomfort the other by telling the truth. Because there's been times where I've gone off on a wrong track, and so the friends in my life had to say really hard things that I did not want to hear. I was even a little mad about it for a while when they've done it. But I needed it. We've got to be open about our particular areas of weakness, and we need to allow people to speak into our lives. I wonder, how many of you have actually gone to to other men and women in your life and actually said, I give you permission to speak into my life? I know that sounds so formal, but like, what, what if we all actually did that? What if we said to the other men and women in our life and say, I give you permission to call me out when I'm going off the wrong, you know, on the wrong track, to call me out when, I'm just, when I've got like the worst attitude or perspective? How many of us have actually said, I give you permission to speak into my life this way? Because we all have blind spots. Let's be honest. We have blind spots, and we need community. We need friends so that we might see them. I mean, I love David and Jonathan here. It's such a dramatic scene. Jonathan, you know, is like, I'm going to die. You know, Jonathan's a little naive. That was one of his blind spots. He never got it about his his dad, Saul. David's like, yeah, your dad threw a spear at me. And Jonathan's like, oh, I'm sure he didn't really throw it. It was like decoration. David's like, no, Jonathan, your dad literally tried to kill me. (laughs) Jonathan's like, oh, no, he doesn't want to kill you. He loves you. Come to dinner. Jonathan's, uh, you know, Jonathan's a little naive. David might be a little impatient. And I love this conversation here because David's like, I'm going to die and your father's going to kill me. What if you betray me? Jonathan's like, never. Just super dramatic. They, they, they all had their little blind spots. They, they needed each other because, listen, the worst thing you could do is just flatter your friends. In fact, the book of Proverbs talks a lot about this. Tons about friendships. Proverbs 29.5 says, to flatter friends is to lay a trap for their feet. See, the funny thing is when we're picking our kind of circles of friends or or the people that we have fellowship with, we sometimes are very selective about that. You know, we go to get advice from a friend and they give us advice and we don't really like that, so we choose the other perspective that we like. We're like, yes, you will be my friends because you always say yes to everything I want to do in life. (laughs) But that's not true community and that's not real friendship. That's just to lay a trap. So we need to listen and we need to speak truthfully. Even when it's on the receiving end, we need to hear it. We need to learn to receive correction. And that's not fun, but it's necessary. 
And it seems that there are like three essential steps to, as friends, receiving correction. First of all, you need to expect it. You need to expect that within the Christian community, you are going to be corrected. Some of you might be new Christians or even new to this church, and you're like, what can I expect? And it would be very easy as a church to just say, hey, you know, welcome to church. You're never going to experience anything but just like happy moments and only words of affirmation. And, you know, sometimes there's a pressure for the church to just like put up this banner, like say, hey, this is like a place where you don't experience anything difficult. But that's not biblical. You know what we should say? We should say, hey, oh yeah, join us at church. You gotta pick up your cross, follow after Christ, die to yourself, die to your flesh, learn to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit, face Satan, demons, and death, and you know, all this kind of stuff. We're gonna do it together. And sometimes we'll have to rebuke each other, but it's good and necessary and right, but it's good for you and we'll grow in it. Amen? That should be the vision of the church. Because that's the way of Jesus. That is the way of discipleship. So when it comes to correction, you need to expect it. But secondly, you need to examine it. You need to make sure it's biblical. We should always do that. Because sometimes, as friends, we don't always communicate it in the right way, our correction. And then thirdly, you need to endure it. It's going to be hard. But Proverbs also says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. We need to take that to heart. But in all of this, it must be expressed in love. We must be vulnerable, learning to weep with those who weep, and rejoice with those who rejoice. But it goes further. Secondly, spiritual friendship is marked by loyalty. That is, friends are committed to the good of the other. And we see this played out in verses 4 through 10. See, by this time, David had married Saul's daughter. So David was technically a part of the royal family. He was a part of Saul's family. So in the midst of all of this danger, David proposes a plan. He says, I'm going to skip a monthly royal dinner, one at which he should be present, and Saul would note his absence. And this would provide an opportunity for Jonathan to find out whether or not it was Saul's intention to kill David. Now, David was well aware of what he was asking the king's son, Jonathan. This was, I mean, this was very risky business. Jonathan was the son of King Saul, and if he was trying to help out David, this could be seen as mutiny and and, and as treason. But the only basis that could justify such a request, notice it there, it's there in verses 8 through 9, was Jonathan's commitment to David. Jonathan's commitment to David. This is not blind loyalty. And when we're talking about community in the church and friendship, it's not just turn a blind eye. Because notice, David is very quick to add, if there is any guilt in me, then you deal with me yourself. David says that. He says, Jonathan, I'm not asking you to affirm just all the sins that I'm doing. And when you and I get to that place, we are down a bad path. We just say, hey, just let me do my thing. Even if it's sinful, just affirm me. But David doesn't say that. He says, if if there is any guilt in me, Because see, friends are committed to the good of the other, not their sin and destruction. Committed to the good. And that means an honest assessment. And that's what real friendship is all about. Proverbs chapter 20, verse 6 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. See, this involves commitment. It involves investment. 
And that's what we're called to as a community. We're called to invest. We're called to commit. See, the opposite would be to be a fair-weather friend or a fair-weather, you know, church member. Where we're only building everything built on usefulness. But listen, if you're only building your relationship to the church or your other friends on usefulness, then you're not serving their good, you're serving your own good. You're simply serving yourself. They say that your troubles allow you to see who your friends really are. And this often comes out so clearly in times of adversity, in times of testing. David and Jonathan are in a time of testing, and you and I have been and will be in times of testing. And that's why Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. We will face times of trouble. The question is, have we been involving ourselves in the life of the church? Have we been involving ourselves in the life of our friends in times of blessing so that we actually have strong community for when the times of adversity come? See, very often our attitude is everything's going great, so I'm going to disconnect from the life of the church. Everything's going really well. I'm blessed, so I'm not going to show up and support my group or support my friend. Things are going well. Don't, need to, don't really need to bother with anything. And then the moment of adversity comes and you think, well, I'm alone. Where is everyone? It would be very easy for us to take for granted just the small things, the daily rhythms of your lives in your neighborhoods and in this church, but do not take them for granted. They are a part of a bigger picture. See, in order to build friendships, we start out with regular commitments and then they begin to grow. They begin to grow. There's a book on friendship that's been so helpful to me, and the title is genius. It's called Friendship. It's written by Hugh Black, and he says in there, through little occasions of helpfulness, we are training for the great trial, should it ever come, when the fabric of friendship will be tested to the very foundation. Now, church, I want you to look at that statement, and I want you to not only think of your friendships, I also want you to think of this church. What you might consider just a little occasion, oh, it's just a study, it's just a prayer meeting, it's just a that. No, listen. Through little occasions of helpfulness, we, not just you, we are training for the great trial. Should it ever come when the fabric of the church will be tested to the very foundation? Which then raises the question, well, what is the basis of the friendship? Right? Friendship has to, ha- has to actually have a point. Right? Have you ever had someone come up to you and just say, hi, let's be friends? And you're like, okay. Okay, we're friends. <laughs> what are we doing? Well, I don't know. We're friends. Like, what do friends do? Maybe friends go see a movie. Like, it's just weird. Right? A friendship based on itself is weird. Friendship is always based on something else. Like, you're heading in a direction. You're going on a journey. You say, hey, come with me. There's companionship and camaraderie in in it. See, friendship is built on on something. And whatever foundation that friendship and community is built, it will determine the direction. So upon what should our friendships be built? Well, we learn from David and Jonathan again, thirdly, that spiritual friendship is not only marked by vulnerability and loyalty, but faith. Spiritual friendship is marked by faith. That is, friends are to be God-dependent. See, in the midst of this scenario, as as David is proposing a a plan, 
And they're talking about what's going to happen over the next few days. They say, okay, we'll do this thing with the arrows and then we'll find out, you know, whether or not Saul's against me and I'll give you a message. But David's wondering, like, Jonathan, are, are you really going to follow through with this? And so what does Jonathan do? Jonathan doesn't merely speak of his own faithfulness. He begins to speak, speak of God himself. And so they go out into the field and in verses 11 through 17, Jonathan takes the conversation to the next level and he begins to really bring his faith into it. He talks about God. See, a part of God's plan for David's life was an incredible friendship. And this friendship helped him pay attention to God. What a mission statement for our own community. Like we're committed to helping one another pay attention to God because we don't always pay attention to God as we ought. We need other people. And in verses 11 through 17, Jonathan takes David away from earshot. Remember, his friendship with David would be considered treason. So he says, come over here, let's talk. And Jonathan just goes into what almost seems like a sermon. And it's all about God. Notice that in his speech, the name of God is mentioned nine times. Just in those six little verses, what's Jonathan talking about? He's talking about God. He says, the Lord, the God of Israel, he will, and God this, and God that, and God's loving kindness. He's putting God at the center of their relationship. Because Jonathan knows that God is with David, and that David should be the future king, just as God had declared. And Jonathan's about to find out that his own father Saul is consumed with anger and violence. And Jonathan's speech, therefore, is dripping with prophetic. He knows David's one day going to be king. And so Jonathan is just saying, David, you know, when all this happens, just remember me, remember my family, and show us kindness. And he does so by making a covenant, this binding agreement. And by making a covenant, notice the phraseology in verses 11 through 17, by making a covenant with the house of David, Jonathan was speaking and acting with a remarkably clear vision of the future. He acknowledges, no, my father, you know, whatever I find out in the next few days, I know that David truly has been anointed as king. And so now Jonathan is asking that his relatives would not be cut off. It is this covenant that binds these two together at the deepest level. And church, it's the same for us. It's a covenant. It's a binding commitment rooted in God. That's what actually brings us together. For it means that our friendships and relationships in our communities, they're not a random you know, fact of, of, of life, but it's connected to this great goal that God has for all of our lives. Knowing God, knowing one another, and then showing God's kindness to and towards one another. The words used here for love are loving kindness, or some translations say steadfast love. Which if you've read your Bible you know, in the Old Testament, often you know that that's used all the time of God's love, his loving kindness, or his steadfast love. But in order for that to happen, God's got to be right at the center. You know, Aristotle once said that friendship is a single soul dwelling in two bodies. Friendship is a single soul dwelling in two bodies. That's interesting. But in the Bible, it actually says that the deepest friendships are not two, but always three. Do you see the phrase that, that Jonathan uses? May the Lord be between you and me. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? May the Lord be between you and me. 
Because let's face it, we can all make these claims of like, yes, I'm going to be there for you or you're going to be there for me. But we all know that we haven't been there for us, just like others may not have always been there you know, for, for others. But that is why God must be at the center. That's why we must be able to say, the Lord be between you and me. Because if this is going to happen, it has to be God. We need faith. David's distress made it hard to see what lies ahead. But Jonathan gives David perspective. David's worried and Jonathan comes in. What's the greatest thing you can do like Jonathan for a friend? Point people to God. And that's what Jonathan does. And it wouldn't be the last time. 1 Samuel 23, 16, a little bit later on in the story, we're told about Jonathan and David again. Jonathan went to find David. What did he do? He encouraged him to stay strong in his faith in God. What a sentence. See, our friendship, our community is built on more than circumstances. It's built on more than just preference. But God himself must serve as the foundation and the direction for our friendships. See, true friends will settle for nothing less than you following after God. True friends will settle for nothing less than you becoming the man or woman that God wants you to be. That's why we're so invested in this, because we're on a journey. God is shaping us. He's transforming us. And so in community, as friends, we get to become a part of this. We get to be a vessel in God's hand used in the lives of others to help the people sitting right next to you to become their future glory selves. Have you ever thought about it like that? I love that phrase. When I think about my, my marriage, I, I think about the ways in which my wife has just, you know, spoken truth into my life or encouraged me or prayed for me. You know what she's doing? She's helping me go in the direction of glory, go in the direction that God has for me. Because she can't settle with the fleshly Tim Chaddock anyway. It's, it's a nightmare. So she's like, oh, no, go in this direction. Go in this direction. Point your eyes in the direction of God. That is what our friendship should be on. We won't settle for anything less. And that's why if you see your friends in sin, or if you see them just acting out in the flesh, or Satan has ripped them off or blinded them, you're going to settle for nothing less than pointing them in the direction of God. You're going to come into their life and get coffee and say, okay, I'm glad the weather's good, but let's talk about your soul. Let's talk about the direction that you are heading because God wants to arrest your attention. And he often does that in community and in friendships. And it is incredibly encouraging. I'm so thankful for and I love the moments in which that has, has happened. I can't even tell you over the years the amount of time that my other pastor friends, Pastor Britt, Pastor Jeremy down in Los Angeles, some of the pastors here, I can't tell you how many times they've had to come into my life and say, Tim, keep it together. Like, you know, remember Jesus, remember the scripture. I'm like, ah, being dramatic like David. I'm a step away from death, except I wasn't in David's situation at all. Like I get stressed out about something. I'm gonna die. You're not gonna die, Tim. It's incredible. The encouragement that we find when we won't settle for anything less than one another becoming our future glory selves in Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. That's why this is such a big deal. And it can be a great source of encouragement for us. And it has a binding effect on friendships. And it's not just abstract. Some of you might be thinking, okay, this is great. And like theory, you know, like, but where is this leading? It's not abstract. It's demonstrated in action. And that is why the fourth and last mark of spiritual friendship we see 
is humility. That is, friends are willing to be second. Friends are willing to sacrifice. This scene at the end of this chapter, verses 41 and 42, is one of the most memorable departure stories in the Old Testament. In the middle of the chapter, it's about how Jonathan conveyed the news to David of Saul's intended violence. The message was sent according to plan. They used this code with their arrows, meaning it was no longer safe for David to stay. And in that moment, David hears the news, and he knows he's going to have to leave. He knows he's going to have to go away, and Jonathan knows it too. And so they meet up with each other. And in this moving scene, we see them just drop to their knees. We're told that David just bows down several times. We're also told that David wept more. And they showed affection towards one another. They showed love towards one another. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. But I want you to notice that there's more than affection going on here. Jonathan's commitment had a deeper meaning. Listen. A kiss in the Old Testament was not merely an expression of friendship, as we see throughout Scripture, but it was also a sign of veneration. For example, Samuel, when he first found Saul back at the beginning of our journey, when Samuel anointed Saul as king, what did Samuel do? Samuel kissed Saul. That was a sign of Samuel recognizing that Saul was the king when Saul came to reign. To use another example, one of the most remarkable references to this kind of display is found in Psalm chapter 2, where we're told that all the kings of the earth are called to kiss the son. Speaking of God's anointed king. What is the meaning of that? The kiss is an expression of humility and an acknowledgement of anointing. So when David and Jonathan are sharing this moment together, it was not only a sign of affection. Listen. It was a sign of Jonathan's glad acceptance that David would be the future king and that there would be no hostility between them. The crown prince Jonathan is willing to lower himself, just lay aside his robe, lay aside his position in order to serve David. It's incredible. It's a picture of what we should experience in community that we would be willing to be second, that we would be willing to lower ourselves in humility and serve one another. But it could be at this point that you're thinking, wow, that's really beautiful, but I haven't experienced that. My friends have been lame. They haven't come through for me. They didn't return my phone call. Called them this morning. They still haven't gotten back to me. It's like, what's going on with that? Or maybe you're just aware that you haven't been that friend. I know all the ways in which I've just not been there as a friend for my friends. And I've experienced when they haven't been there for me. But that is why we need to know this. That we don't just end our time there. We need to go further. Because this is but a shadow of a greater and more powerful story of friendship. This is but a shadow of a more powerful departure story. Because the gospel tells us that the greatest crown prince of all, Jesus Christ, he lowered himself. He came into our world. He laid aside his robe. He laid aside his privileges. And he came into our world, not just to be our friend, but our savior. To make a covenant with us. 
He laid aside it all and he truly bore the curse for our failure. For our failure to live in community. Our failure to be friends. He laid himself down when he went to the cross to pay the price for the sins that your friends have committed against you. Jesus Christ took it all for us so that we might be forever with him. And so when we're thinking about friendship, we must land here. Jesus Christ is the ultimate friend who is so committed to your good that he went all the way to the cross for your evil. He went all the way there. That's why Romans 5 says, Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Church, listen, some of you might be thinking of the failures of others right now. And you might say, well, I'm not going to reach out to them. I'm not going to be the first to try to reconcile to them because they haven't been a very good friend to me. Listen, can you imagine Jesus Christ saying about that about the world? Can you imagine what state we'd be in if that was Jesus' attitude? If Jesus is up in heaven and he's looking down at the world and he's like, well... I'll wait till they get their act together. I'll wait till they show themselves as really good friends. Then I'll show up. Can you imagine? Where would we be left? We'd be left in our sin. But Jesus didn't wait until we got our act together. While we were still sinners, Jesus Christ came and died for us. And that is the very foundation of all of our friendships so that we can forgive others when they sin against us. Because we have an ultimate friend in Jesus Christ. I can say to my friends, I forgive you because our whole foundation is built on Jesus Christ who has forgiven me. And you yourself can receive forgiveness. That's the foundation we need. And it's because of his sacrifice, Christ's commitment, his initiative, that we are brought near in a friendship with God. I mean, think about the disciples, right? When you read the the gospels, the disciples were just idiots like half the time. And in Jesus Christ's moment of greatest need, when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, you know, sweating as though it were great drops of blood, where were his friends? Sleeping. And it would have been very, if we were in the garden, we would be like, oh, sleeping again, huh? Still don't answer my phone. And yet, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he celebrates a meal with his disciples, and he knows what's going to happen, but listen what he says. John 15, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Why would Jesus say that? Even though he knew his friends would fail? Because it was that night that Jesus took the bread and he broke it apart. And he took the cup and he said, eat this, drink this. This represents the new covenant, my blood shed for you. That's the foundation For the church, for the follower of Jesus, it is not circumstance, it's covenant that defines our friendship. The new covenant of Jesus Christ. This is astounding that Jesus, the Son of God, would invite us into the intimacy of the circle of of friendship that exists between Father, Son, and Spirit. And this nearness is extended to every one of us, even in this community. Because in the gospel, Jesus becomes a friend to you, for you, and with you. And he, his is the forever friendship upon which all other friendships are, be, are to be built. And so our questions today are this. Are we willing to take the lower place? Are we willing to forgive? Are we willing to reach out and serve in humility? Are we willing to go there because Christ did this for us? 
And you've got to remember that in any friendship, in any community, anything that happens, remember that any friendships with others, if it's Christian, there's always three. Christ is to be at the center. And though your friendship will go up and down, Jesus Christ is the constant. He's the grounds and he's the goal. Why? Because only Christ fulfills the hope of friendship. He alone fulfills our longing. It may be today that you've just been putting way too much of a burden on your friend. You've expected your friend to be your savior. They can never be your savior. Only Christ can be your savior. So to whatever barrier that's lying between you and other people, even in this room or or other people outside of this room, we can say, may the Lord be between you and me. May the Lord be between you and me. Maybe it's time to reconcile today. You need to be able to say this, the Lord be between you and me. Some of you have been wounded. Some of you have wounded others. But if you're not willing to forgive, it shows that you're putting that person above Jesus Christ. May we dare not do this. Christ is our ultimate friend. Christ is our savior. He's the foundation for all of our other relationships. And in the midst of our drama, Jesus is the one who speaks. He's our savior king, and he's our friend who speaks peace into our disappointments, our our disasters, and all of the dangers that we are in. Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us with an everlasting love, and he brings us in. And that means the friendship that we have with Jesus can offer us a peace through faith that the world can never give and that the world can never take away. Amen? If you haven't yet believed, believe upon him today and experience the friendship of Jesus. Let's pray right now. Father, we do ask that you would show us how great a thing it is that the Son of God would come down and call us friends. Lord, if any of us are experiencing any entitlement or perhaps bitterness or unwillingness to invest or commit or to seek others in as much as it depends on us, I pray that that would all melt away when we see you, Lord Jesus, when we see how you've lowered yourself for us so that we might be with you. Christ, we just proclaim you as the ultimate friend, our savior friend. We proclaim that you are the foundation upon which everything else must be built. And so even here and now, we ask for healing for relationships, whether it's in a marriage or other men and women in the church. We ask for healing. We ask for strength. We ask for wisdom. We ask for help. You've called us friend. And we do not want to stay far from, from you. We want to come near you. So by faith, we do so now. Change us, God. Change us from the inside out through intimacy with you. We ask in Jesus' name.